Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, where you're going to learn a lot about how really good investors make 20% a year and Ooh. how you can do it too. I, I love doing this podcast. We have we have over 2 million downloads now, and I, I we're, we're really having an impact. And a lot of people who are listening to the podcast are showing up in Atlanta, um, where we do that class once a month, which is a, you know, I've just pitched our class. Sorry. I know you hate it when I do that. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you want to hear the thing. craziest story so far of somebody that showed up in this class was this lady who, um, I think about mid-March, she heard about the podcast from a friend of hers. She immediately listened to all 100 plus episodes twice. Oh gosh. What, was I there when she was there? I think you might have been. I think I was because she there was, kind of was sitting a, over to the left side. Occasionally I show up at the workshops. Yeah. And there was somebody at the last one I came to that had done that, had listened to all the podcasts like within like a couple weeks before coming to the workshop. And then just and then just grabbed a, a there was a vacant seat in that workshop, somebody had dropped off and she grabbed it and came straight to it. Like the whole yeah, thing she was, was two great. weeks. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it was it's really fun when somebody does like that. And then well, three what days makes, later. What makes me feel really happy is that I've learned so much by doing this podcast with you. And it has forced me to sit down and chat about these things, which has been really, really good for me. And I'm so glad that it's not just me. Like, I'm glad it's not only benefiting me. I'm so glad that other people get to hear it with me, get to hear my idiotic questions to you a lot of the time, get to hear your answers. Man, I'm, I don't just, think, I'm really glad that it's bigger than me. I don't think anybody thinks your questions are idiotic, man. You uh, you have I got mean, a I, lot of I fans should, out I should there. Use, I should use some like neutral word for that because I don't really mean it negatively. Like It doesn't bother me at all. I feel perfectly happy asking questions because I don't know anything. Why should I know? And... I think that's actually a huge stumbling block that a lot of people go through when it comes to financial education is you ask a question and people treat you like you're stupid. That happens a lot. And it especially happens to women. It and it's does. no fun. And it makes us turn off within about 30 seconds and not go back to financial education, period. Well, and another another thing it does is it stops you from repeating the question. I mean, if it's hard enough to get a reasonable response... Too. And then you you then the reasonable response that you get doesn't satisfy your question or you don't understand the response, which is often the case. That's that very true. Very too. few people are going to pursue it to a second round, much less, look, I still don't get it. Look, I really still don't get it. And to yeah. push past that, you know, there's not going to be very many people ever who do that. And and so that's one of the real advantages of the podcast is you you get to do that. I think that's really true. And the reason that you don't have a lot of people who do that, you don't have a lot of opportunities to do that, is that often the person that we are speaking to in that context of asking financial questions is somebody that we're paying. It's a financial advisor who we pay. And you don't want to take up that person's time too much because often they're on the clock and you don't want to pay for it. Or, or they're the, busy or the, and they have other clients and they, you know, Or the person's intimidating. Often these guys who are real experts are 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 famous or they're 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 curmudgeonly i mean think about charlie munger you met charlie how would you like to repeat the same question five times in a row to charlie 
Uh, I just wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Rest my case. (laughs) You just wouldn't is right. You just wouldn't. And I so, mean, I don't think too many you know, people are asking Charlie Munger a lot of questions. <laughs> I think it's it's more sort of the people in our daily lives. Well, do you remember the people like, local asking Charlie? Advisor. There was Charlie opened it up for questions after after he had talked for a while, and some guy stood up and said something, and Charlie Munger just said, "I think you can figure that out for yourself," and just like. <laughs> terrible he's like sit down it's like sit down fool and in front of 400 people who are your peers and it's like oh that's your worst nightmare in in class right (laughs) you finally gather up the nerve to ask the teacher a question and they cut you to ribbons but you know what's so great about you dad i ask you the questions and you just stick with me and you're patient and you answer them and it's very sweet and i appreciate it well honey it's because i love you and i think your questions are phenomenally good and if i'm not explaining them well enough then the problem is here with me and I, i hope i'm getting it you know being better at explaining these things but often these concepts are not that simple Right? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, there's a reason lots of people are paid to do this stuff. It's not like you just fall off the turnip truck and know how to value stocks. Yep. That's true. You don't. But I will say that, that, <laughs> that was such laugh. a dry response. <laughs> that is correct. That is right. But the, the investing itself is simple. I mean, we've gone through it so many times. I'll do it once more. Charlie told us exactly the four steps we're looking at. The four key pieces of information are, are you capable of understanding this as a business? Forget about stocks. This is going to be applying to whether you're going to buy a McDonald's franchise or the house across the street or uh, start your own business or buy a public company or buy a private company. It applies across the board to a business investment. Second, that you have to understand the business. Second, that it's got a moat, that it has this this great barrier that's intrinsic to the company like railroad tracks are intrinsic to a railroad train company, right? So you've got to have some ability to protect yourself from competition because capitalism is so efficient that if somebody's making a lot of money, people are going to figure it out really fast and they're going to come in and figure out what are you doing to make a lot of money? They're going to become your customer and find out. And then they're going to copy it. And then they're going to just put it out there and they're going to keep cutting the price uh, to compete with you until you have to cut price. And so you've got to have something that protects you from having to do that. And so we talked about that a lot. And then you've got to have a management team that you trust that's trustworthy and has integrity because, man, alive, the jockey can take the horse places you don't even want to go. So that's, and and we've we probably yet of all the things we talk about, you know, understanding the business, the moat, the and finally the margin of safety, which is the critical three words of investing. Is you got to buy the business with a with a discount to its public value, and you can get those three things right. And 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 we've talked a lot about how to do that. Management is the toughest thing. I want to come back to management some other time. And really try to dive in on on ways to understand the management team. I love that idea. Let's do a whole series on management. Yeah, let's do it. Once we've once we've done the other stuff we've promised, which is 
talk about Amazon, talk about the fourth thing that you just mentioned, which is the margin of safety, pricing the business and how to price it. We're going to compare the actual sale. Sorry, I keep saying Amazon. Whole Foods, uh, which will soon be part of Amazon. The price of Whole Foods has been set in their deal at $42. And what we want to do is talk about what we think about that. Let's and do how they got there. Let's do. But but one so once we've gotten through that and uh, and and we've gotten we've talked about the efficient market uh, video that Buffett did that you mentioned last time. Which guys, check this video out. I haven't even watched it yet, but when we talk about it, I will have watched it. Google Buffett long term capital. Apparently, he talks for about nine minutes about. Uh, the efficient market theory and whether or not that actually works, which I just think is interesting. No, it's not so much then what he's let's talking do a about. series on management. That's that's Buffett's really talking about the people who did long term capital and and how crazy it was that they put everything they had into it. It it's not so much about his you know talking about efficient market hypothesis so much. Oh, pretty sure. But you're saying it was. No, hmm. I was saying he was talking about. These guys believed in that, and then they went yeah. forward with it so aggressively. And they went forward with it uh, fully depending on that hypothesis. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't talk about the hypothesis itself. He's not going to break it down in there. This nine minutes. Okay. Yeah. So let's – are you ready to dive in? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. Amazon Whole Foods. Okay. So to sum up, Jeff Bezos at Amazon – bought Whole Foods for $13.9 billion. The deal is not yet concluded, but it's been agreed to by the boards of both companies and is in principle going to happen. Um, and we're going to look at why $42 a share, why $13.9 billion. And by the way, let's just start with how do we get from $42 a share to $13.9 billion? How does yeah, that happen? How, right? how, how does that happen? So we, we, we know in the in the news, that's the price that that they're paying, right? So they've announced it at $42. And we also know how many shares Whole Foods has. And when we say shares, we mean that the shares that are out there in the company, they're trading in the marketplace, which is what uh, Whole Foods puts on uh, its SEC forms and tells you every quarter how many shares they have. And currently, the number is 319 million. 685,743. So shares. for me, shares, right? So the purchase price is all of the outstanding shares times $42 a share. And the actually it comes out 13.4 billion. So I was wrong about 0.9. It's 13 billion four hundred and twenty-six million eight hundred and one thousand six twenty-six would be the actual specific price of the business. 13 and all billion. that for a company that people said was outdated. Outdated, over the hill. Screw you guys. I loved it the whole time. <laughs> I love this. And what we're giggling about a little bit is that Danielle uh, started her investing career by buying this stock. And it's so, so neat that a year later, it's done so well for her. And um, by selling it at $42, she has a basis of $29 purchase price minus $1 of dividends that she received over the year. By the and way, these are your round numbers. These are my I round do not numbers. sign my name to any of this. 
You're but I'll let it accurate. go. I'll let it go. It's roughly, roughly true. Roughly true um, that the sale price will be forty-two. She has a, a what I'd call an adjusted basis of forty of twenty-eight. So she'll receive about a fifty percent return. So that's about a fourteen-dollar return on a twenty-eight-dollar investment over the course of one year, which is of course flipping spectacular. And you know, it's crazy. But every time you say do. it. So last time we also said I would I would say more about my feelings about it. And every time you say that I made a 50% return, I just have this like sad feeling, <laughs> which is so ridiculous. Why? But it, re- why? it reminds me, why. me, it's because I don't own that company anymore. And the reason I bought that company and have championed it probably way too much on this podcast and in other forums is because I just I thought that it was doing a really good thing in the world. It had a fantastic mission. It has a fantastic mission of bringing healthy, natural, organic food to everyone. And they changed the entire face of what we eat in the United States. I mean, I've said this a million times. It used to be really hard to find organic food and whole foods made it something that was very popularly available in many local grocery stores, including conventional grocery stores. If you go to Kroger or Safeway or Albertsons or whatever your local chain grocery store is, they now have an organic section. And that is because of Whole Foods and because of Wild Oats, another natural and organic grocery store that was started in Boulder that, uh, that Whole Foods bought. And others, I'm sure as well, that uh, that just weren't quite as big national names. But Whole Foods is the one that won that particular competition and has just killed it ever since. And so and I just I think the the founder, John Mackey, has been really a lighthouse of good corporate management and good intentions and I know not everything he does is perfect, and I know lots of things that people don't like about Whole Foods, but overall, I think he's done a really good job. And I just, I really loved owning this company. And so when uh, when this deal happened, and I started getting all these texts and emails from people going, have you seen what happened with Whole Foods? Oh my God, what have you done? What is happening? Are you selling? Are you keep? Are you staying? Like, what's happening? And I called my dad or no, I had somehow we talked. I don't remember if I called you or you called me and you said, you got to sell, sell now. And I said, why? I don't really want to. And you were like, cause it's not going to go higher than, I mean, you know, it might go a little higher. Like we we're never going to make it to the top, but you thought it was a good time to sell. And I just, I was so conflicted and it was so difficult for me. And I sat there with my trading account open so long without clicking the sell button that it timed out and I got kicked out of the whole system. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, oh, maybe it's a sign. I mean, who knows? Time will tell. Maybe it was a sign. Maybe I should have kept it. And then I, and then I logged back in and then I completed it. And I just felt like, I was breaking up with somebody I still loved. And I actually even wow. like had a little tear in my eye, I'll admit. You know and something? I turned to my what? I'm just I I really love it that you have come to this place where you've gathered an understanding about this business to a place where 
you want to own it your whole life, that you really love the people who are managing it. You are sounding so much like a guy like Warren Buffett and a guy like Charlie Munger, who really love the people who run their companies. I mean, they love them and they pour ad, you know, praise on them every year. Um, they leave them entirely alone to just run these things. They have so much trust for them. And I, I mean, it's so much a part of what makes investing a thing that they want to do until they drop dead, right? Yeah. Because it's just, it's, it's really life. It's really involved in the, in the game of life, you know? You, you're, it's personal. You, it's personal. And you're helping employ thousands and thousands of people. You're helping change the world in a, in a direction of your choice, following your values, you're helping that process in a very major way. You're really, you know, you're really in there doing it and, and it's necessary that you do it. And if you don't do it and no one else does it, then that company is gone. That's all, true. That's yeah. totally, totally true. I do wonder, I will admit, uh, if it's a little bit of a overreaction, like maybe it's not as good to feel so strongly about a business decision like that? I, I'm not really sure. I'm still kind of thinking that one over. What do you think? I think that Whole Foods is particularly unique. And and I think if you're going to you're going to feel that emotion for Whole Foods, it's well deserved because they're a pioneering company run by an extremely talented man with enormous integrity who really did change the world. So and it's kind of like it's the unicorn. It's and it's a every bit of now a and then the unicorns happen, and you feel yeah. things about those. Yeah, yeah that it's, makes it, sense. It's like being connected in with Steve Jobs, or, or or you know, just this amazing, iconic human being, and you get to participate. You get to help them. That's 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 really incredible. It doesn't happen very often in your life, and you should feel a, a lot of really strong emotions around having the company go away, especially since you've only owned it for a short time and have taken so much trouble and effort to understand the business well enough to buy it. And I think that, you know, she should feel that kind of an emotion for something like that. And you won't feel that strongly about everything, but I want no. you to feel something about everything, right? So if I you have for me, I, and I, I, this is probably something each of us has to decide for ourselves. Like what, what feels good? What's the right level of passion about a company's mission before you get in with that company. And I think for me, it's it's feeling just a certain level of pride about being affiliated with them, about being an owner, about having my name on the door, so to speak. And I think that's, that's what it is for me. It may not huge. be love, but at least pride. That's huge. That's huge. I love it that you're thinking like that. And I want you to really think like that with every company. Think about you know, showing it to Nunes and showing it to his family and showing it to his sister and showing it to your sister and and showing it to me and saying, hey, I own this company. I really, really like this company. Yeah. Well, and frankly, that's not hypothetical. When all of us in this value investing shebang buy a company, which because it doesn't happen very often, people ask you what you're up to and you tell them and you end up talking a lot about what you have bought a lot and people want to know the details and you like, it's not hypothetical. You are standing by any company you own to your friends and family regularly. 
Yep. And by the way, I want you to really anchor in on what you just said, because it means that it's that much more important you do your homework before you pull the trigger, because yeah. you are going to get into this anchor bias in a big way that Danny Kahneman talks about that, that we, we tell me, tell me what that is again. It means you've committed to something and now you're going to defend it. Uh, Psychologically, it's going to be very hard for you to bail out of this thing because you've spent so much time defending it, so much time learning it. Um, the, the well, business... maybe that's why I felt so strongly about Whole Foods also, because they've been really dumped on lately and I had to defend them a lot. Maybe I maybe I was anchor biasing. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a very, very important thing to realize that you have as part of your investment um, psychology. And if you don't recognize it, you run the risk of not being able to change your investment when the company's changed. When yeah. It's no longer what it was. Yeah, you have to reevaluate, and that means you've got to go against your own commitment. And that, and the I, I will make the that. point with Whole Foods that there were a number of respected people out there who were making that argument that Whole Foods had changed, yes. and their value proposition had changed, their moat in particular had changed because. So many conventional grocery stores now had natural, natural and organic, and were in a lot of ways doing it better than Whole Foods. Right. So, I mean, this is a great choice for both Amazon and Whole Foods, I think. And I also would acknowledge that it could have gone the other way. Absolutely. Like, it was a big lesson to me that just because I love a company doesn't mean people are going to make good decisions, and it could have had a, a different outcome. Right. Absolutely could have a different outcome. But let's talk about um, why Bezos jumped in there and decided to buy this company since now he owns the whole future for it. Um, yeah. Why would he Why would he pay what he paid? Why would he buy it? Why would he pay what he paid? We talked about before about why he bought it, that at least the speculation is that this gives him access. He, whole Foods has 444 stores around the United States and has many, many more to open up on its planning board. And even with it just the way it is like right now, along with Amazon Fresh distributorship or distributor locations, Bezos is now within one hour of delivering food, one hour delivery times for 70% of the U.S. population. 70? Seven zero. Seven zero. And that's why the day they announced this purchase, every grocery store that was public dropped by something like 8 to 15% in price in their stock price. Yeah, because I just read something that said the credit risk for conventional grocery stores has dropped has gone up something like 30% since this deal was announced. Now you've got this guy who has incredibly deep pockets who has a reputation of being disruptive by price to companies that are already at low price with almost no margins. And what that means is that he could be in he all those people are looking at a Kroger's, you know, a Safeway, uh, Albertsons, these kinds of Ralphs, these different stores. They run at really thin margins. They're at two percent margins typically. So how much does Bezo has have to push them before they are losing money? And it isn't very much. So yeah. if he can if he can disrupt that whole that whole model, you know, I mean, I was reading back about. Um, web Webvan, I think, which was a failed um, attempt to do deliver groceries to the home, 
And people came back and said, well, the reason it failed was because people don't want the groceries delivered to their home and they haven't solved the problem of quality and so on. But Amazon Fresh is solving that problem. I have friends of mine who get Amazon Fresh deliveries and love it. They don't go to the grocery store anymore. Who doesn't want groceries delivered to their home? I know. So if you add in the kind of quality control that, that John Mackey has created at Whole Foods, where their quality of their fresh vegetables was enormously better than yeah. ever seen in the industry. Um, you add that in and the kind of layered choices that John Mackey's made available. So if you want fish, you can have this kind of fish or that kind of fish, this kind of ethics, that kind of ethics. You have these layers that will appeal to people in their homes on a menu, bang, 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 send it to my house and we're done. That could disrupt the entire grocery industry. Big time. Yeah, it's going to, as well as Amazon's focus on price constantly, that's what's going to be a really interesting change for Whole Foods, the grocery store, because it's, you know, notoriously called Whole Paycheck. And the reason that they can have all those beautiful fruits and vegetables is that they charge more for them. And people have pretty much been willing to pay in certain parts of the country, in certain kinds of stores. The question is whether Amazon will be able to get those prices down and thereby make it more accessible to more people, or if, I mean, and I don't know what they're going to do, or if Amazon will keep those prices in Whole Foods where they are, keep it kind of a prestige brand, but somehow make the distribution network better so that it can still get out to more people at maybe different price points, different products. I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they're thinking. My gut level is both of those things are going to happen. Yeah, and that's I think why that's everybody's true. so afraid. I think that's And the true. reason they can both happen is because Whole Foods is this wonderful, wonderful business. And one of the things that we think makes a wonderful business wonderful is a lot of free cash flow. Hmm. And we've talked about that a lot through the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I'd kind of show you why, you know, in my view, somebody like Bezos would be extremely interested in Whole Foods. Um, in particularly in terms of being able to lower their prices and and have very disruptive influence on the rest of the industry and it comes down ultimately to free cash <clears throat> so okay so we look at whole foods and we say okay well you go over to the financial statements which are the income statement balance sheet and cash flow and the one that we're going to focus on right now is the cash flow and you can do this over on our website on the toolbox there at rule 1 investing or you can do it uh, Google up the numbers. You can you can uh, download the Whole Foods um, SEC 10K, um, which is their annual report, off of their website. So you can get this information a lot of places. This is not secret information. That's so what the, I tend to do is download the actual report. That's the safest. I like thing to get to things from the source. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the source. So we're going over to the cash flow statement that is in that report, and we look at 2016, and we see that. They had net income of $507 million. So this is the earnings of the company. This is not per share. This is just how much the whole company made. $507 million. Thank you for pointing that out. I mean, I'm sure to a lot of people that's obvious, but it drives me crazy when I have to figure out if somebody's talking about overall or per share. So thank you. You're welcome. And it's so $507 million is the earnings. So really, you're going to go to zero earnings if you make $500 million less right? So if you cut your prices enough to drop your earnings to zero, that would have a catastrophic effect on a public company. Yeah. It won't won't do anything to Amazon to do that. 
they will because they have so much other income. They're ten times bigger than that. Yeah. Right. Or ten, many, many more times than that. So now let's go down. So are you saying they can afford to take a loss on Whole Foods because they have so many other things going on and it's just a drop in the bucket? Particularly if it's only a paper loss. What if they weren't actually losing money? How cool would that be? So we look over at Whole Foods and we say, okay, you had $507 million of paper profit. That's paper profit. You can't spend earnings, right? You can only spend dollars, cash. <laughs> and they're different. They're actually different. And people fail to realize that, that earnings are a bit of a fiction. They're useful, but they're a bit of a fiction and you can't spend it. What you can spend is cash flow. So when you go down and look at the cash flow, the cash from operating activities is the cash flow of a business, and that information is on the cash flow statement. It says $1,116,000,000, more than double the amount of actual cash flow compared to the earnings of the company. All right? Now, out Wait of that- Wait a second. That... <laughs> okay. I can cash see your flow... face is like, uh... Cash flow is double the earnings? Cash flow is more than double the earnings at Whole Foods. So let me get this straight. Here's how I imagine earnings. I picture like little flying dollar bills, like flying into the company. They fly in and then I like have all these little dollar bills. And then I have to pay some stuff out of that pile of dollar bills. So some of those dollar bills like fly away and those are gone. And then I still have some some dollar bills in my hands, and that's what I get to take home. And that's the cash flow. Exactly. It's the cash flow. It's not the earnings. Right. Well, when you're picturing earnings and you're seeing the little dollar bills fly in, that's kind of accurate, except it isn't. It's something else flies in. It's little dollar bills are flying in with earnings, but also what's flying in are promises to pay. Yeah. So you get some IOUs in there as well. And you can't spend the IOUs. Okay? Sure. Now you're going to now you have to pay out in dollar bills, out goes the dollar bills of the things you have to spend money on. Right. But you can also subtract IOUs that you want to pay in the future. Sure. So you're going to have payables. So earnings How doesn't How on earth could I end up with double the original dollar bills is my question. One of the IOUs that you paid out is really a fakey little IOU called <laughs> appreciation, called depreciation and amortization. And what oh, it's man. what it is it's some little accounting thing. What it is is an IRS driven, tax driven number that the accounting profession is going to demand that you use and you're going to comply as a management team because it will reduce your taxes. And the bigger the depreciation and amortization, the less taxes you have to pay on net earnings because it makes your net earnings go down. But you don't pay it in cash. You don't pay it at all. Oh. It's just a deduction for the deterioration of your equipment. Will a company that has high depreciation and amortization generally have more cash flow than earnings? No, it's not. There's no generalization to it. Um, companies that have, uh, the way you, you can tell is you look at what's called the, 
the capital expenditures of the company or on the cash flow statements, it's usually called the purchase of property and equipment. That's what you really have to replace. That yeah, number. because the equation for free cash flow is operating cash minus capital expenditures, right? That's correct. So essentially, we're, we are adding back in depreciation and amortization to net income because it's a fake deduction. We don't actually pay any cash. And then we're subtracting PP&E, purchase of property and equipment, which is the actual stuff you have to buy to keep your business running. Okay. Like trucks yeah, and trains. Yeah, I mean, it gets, it definitely, I get really mixed up every time between earnings and, and like getting from that to free cash flow. We can but go back through that again sometime. The concept that free cash flow could be double earnings is still just, I just don't see that. Well, what happens I'll is take, a company. I'll take your word for it. It's real easy to see in, in, in real estate. If you own a, a house, um, as a rental property, you get a 20, typically a 20 year depreciation on the building. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so you get in, let's say you're getting in $12,000 of rent and you're paying out $3,000 of insurance, taxes, and maintenance. Okay. So you have $9,000 left. So the place costs 20000 No, no, no. You don't know what it costs. Okay, oh. let's say it costs. Let's say it costs a hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, I'm just trying to recap. So it it it's bringing in twenty thousand. Is that what you said? Bringing in twelve thousand. What was the twenty thousand? It was a twenty year depreciation. Oh, 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 okay. okay. Well, we do need to, we do need to know what we paid for the place. Let's say we played uh, we paid um, two hundred and fifty thousand, and and our accountant is comfortable with us saying, or we think we can get away with saying. 50,000 of that was the dirt and 200,000 of that was the house. Okay? okay? We paid cash. So now the IRS says, okay, you have $200,000 of a depreciable asset, the house, and you can depreciate that straight line over 20 years, which means you can just divide 20 into 200,000. And it tells you how much you can write off your taxes, write off of your your ex, as an expense every year. $10,000 you can write off as an expense every single year. Got it. Okay, you with me? Okay. Yes. All right, so now you've got, um, let's say you have this, uh, let's call it 20000 coming in, $20,000 okay. coming in from rent, and let's say you've got $5,000 of expenses. Uh -huh. So you have $15,000 left that is actual cash flow that you can take home. Yes. All right, but yes. you're now, for your taxes, you're going to also put in this other expense called depreciation and amortization of $10,000. Uh-huh. Subtract that from the $15,000 for tax purposes, and now you're only taxed on $5,000. Well, yay to that. Your taxes just went from maybe $7,000 down to $2,000. So you made a huge savings in taxes as a result of having this depreciation and amortization. Now, your net income, if you're using standard net income, you would now have a net income of $5,000 while you've got cash flow of $15,000. Understood. Sure. Okay. okay. So yeah. here's an, that exact but situation. But your earnings were your 20. Earnings be, no, no. Your revenue was 20. Oh, that's where I get mixed up. Yep. Your revenue is 20. Your expenses 
are 5,000 of this, you know, normal expenses for real estate plus $10,000 of amortization depreciation. So your expenses were 15,000. Now you have $5,000 of net income that's taxable. Okay, cool. Now, what do you actually have in cash flow? Well, your operating cash flow is $15,000. Yeah. Three times yeah, yeah. larger than your net income. Yeah. Now let's ask let's ask ourselves what would be our capital expenditures for this house, and the answer is almost none. We could almost say none. We're going to do maintenance, which is just a normal expense, which we've already written off. We don't have capital expenditures for the house, and and what's the house going to be worth in twenty years? Probably more than the two hundred thousand, and well, the two hundred fifty thousand we paid for it. It'll probably be more. In other words, it's a complete paper loss. It doesn't actually occur in real life, which is one of the reasons people love real estate. It's got some very <laughs> interesting tax benefits going on. I got you. I got you. So I, what the error I made was that I mixed up earnings with revenue. I hear earnings yep. and I think revenue every single time. Yep. Yep. So earnings so this is, is revenue minus liabilities. Nope. Sure. <laughs> Earnings you're, is revenue minus expenses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to go where the, the liabilities are over on the balance sheet. Oh, but God. You, yeah. There's a valid number there. You're learning. You're learning. I'm getting there. But let's come back. Let's come back to this. So now we can understand how it's possible that a company that had, let's say, quite a lot of PP&E in the early days, like Whole Foods did when they're building out all these buildings and 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 all this leasehold improvements. And now they're writing off a lot of that stuff, but it isn't real cash expenditures. So they've got more than double the amount of free cash flow um, than they have of earnings, which is, or sorry, they have more than double operating cash flow uh, from regular earnings. And so- okay. Now we subtract the actual purchase of property and equipment, which covers all of the growth of their stores, the maintenance of the existing ones that they have to replace uh, capital expenditures. That's $323 million. So what well, we that's end up not that with, bad. No. So we end up with $800 million of free cash flow against $500 million of earnings. So our free cash flow is like 60% larger than our earnings, which is huge. So here's what I wanted to tell you about why okay. Bezos would pay this price. And then okay. we can talk about it more next time. Okay. <clears throat> Is that he paid $13.4 billion and he's getting $800 million in free cash flow year one. Assuming, and this may be a bit of a stretch, but let's assume that Whole Foods can grow its free cash flow under Bezos at 10% a year. Just make, uh -huh. make any assumption. We can change that assumption, but let's just make that for right now. Okay. What that means is, is his first year, he'll have $870 million of free cash flow. His second year, he'll have $960 million of free cash flow. His third year, he'll have over a billion. Now, if he takes in this free cash flow, the way we think about it is that it's return of capital. We're getting our money back from our purchase of $13.4 billion. And when we add up all those future free cash flows, Guess what? In just under 10 years, Jeff Bezos will have all his money back from buying Whole Foods, just from Whole Foods free cash flow. That is very, that's a very cool little calculation to make very easily. Yep. And guess what that means? <laughs> very it easily means... after I spent 10 minutes trying to figure out what the hell you were talking <laughs> about. But, you know, let's assume. 
Because I did, yeah. I did run these calculations before, and I have to like sit down and figure out what <laughs> I'm doing, and then I have to check myself. So yeah. Well, so it do I. I didn't do it in my head. I got an Excel spreadsheet running here. <laughs> so you know, look at I, I, I know. So all I did is I took 13.4 billion and I subtracted each year's growing free cash flow, and it turns out that Bezos will have all his money back in year 10. And what that means is, is the price he paid was a reasonable price. That's exactly what Buffett would look at and say, how long before you get your money back? Oh, okay, about 10 years. Well, Buffett would like to get it back in maybe seven or eight or six, but 10's not crazy. So you can it's see really where not. Bezos no. is coming from. Yeah, Not crazy absolutely. at all. Absolutely. Now, that assumes growth of free cash flow. If he doesn't have growing free cash flow, if his free cash flow is going down, he won't get his money back so fast. And that's why I was saying that I think Bezos is going to be able to just cut price because he's got all this free cash flow that he can use to drive everybody out of business. Mm -hmm. So he may not accumulate free cash flow with Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. He instead, mm -hmm. he may use it as a weapon. Oh, to he's undercut definitely going to use it as a weapon. There's no question about that. And, and what he's got is a weapon that's pro about twice as big as anybody who's looking at earnings thinks it is. That's and it's enormous. Is. It's an enormous weapon. If he he can cut prices down to where Whole Foods has negative earnings, and still he's making cash. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's powerful. That's, that's powerful. Really interesting. So that's and the, on the flip side, I see why Whole Foods accepted that price. I mean. If let's assume free cash flow doesn't grow, and as I was saying earlier, I mean Whole Foods may not have had the best prospects in this grocery industry. So let's assume it doesn't grow, and Whole Foods doesn't have any additional cash flow coming in. Might even go down, and they get an offer for let's say, if it doesn't grow, I don't know. I'm going to guess, but maybe 13 or 14 years of getting paid back. That suddenly starts looking pretty good to the seller. There you go. Um, the analysts are actually estimating that they'll grow at about six percent. So, moving that in there, um, it's going to take. Let's see. There's a few quick changes here. Um, yeah, man, you nailed it. Hey, you're getting good. Uh, year 13. Cool. Yeah. So here, here you got John Mackey maybe looking at one side of this saying, you know, really at 42 bucks a share, that's a very reasonable price because that's a 13-year payback at current expectations. And that's if everything goes well. And, and it's way higher than the current stock price, as you pointed out earlier. It's substantially higher than the current stock price. So you can see how these guys arrived at that. And you can see that it fits our formula for figuring out the value of a business rather well. And you can see how we came around months ago at calculating a great margin of safety price for this company. It'd be about 22, 23 bucks a share. We well, I actually bit, don't see that because we didn't talk about that at all. Oh, so maybe oh, okay. we can talk about that next time. We can talk about that next time. Okay. okay. Well, then we better stop. <laughs> All right. I guess we're going to stop. So, guys, it's been fun talking about this. I really enjoy seeing these things working out real time with real companies, with real money, and uh, validating these formulas that Buffett has taught us over all these 40 years. So. I really do enjoy too. talking and about this one. 
we see that in the emails coming in too that people want to know more about what's happening with companies right now because we've all been learning and it's cool to apply that to actual real life situations so keep sending those questions and comments to questions at investedpodcast.com all right until until next time time to go play thanks everybody Bye. bye hey thanks for listening to invested we hope you enjoyed this episode Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything, and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.